You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. Yeah, that's good, right? And so in this series called Freeway, going through the book of Galatians, we're trying to learn to be free from religion. And last week we looked in the first parts of Galatians and we studied different gospels and we looked at uh, Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness religion. And if you didn't hear that message and you want to go back to citychurchdowntown.com and click on our podcast, you can listen to it there. But um, uh, if you, in case you missed last week, we've been working with this definition of freedom, is that freedom is not the ability to do whatever you want, but the freedom to do what you ought. And when you have the freedom to do what you ought, then your expression of freedom is not imposing on the freedoms of others. And you also experience the joy that Christ has for you. And as I was thinking about freedom in recent days, I came across an article about a guy by the name of Randall Lee Church. And he went to prison some years ago because he got into a fight. He was fighting over some money with a guy and he killed the guy. And he ended up doing this long sentence for uh, murder. And we got to remember when Randall Lee Church went to prison, it was 1983. That was when Ronald Reagan was president. The cutting edge technology at that time was like the, the wireless phone, not like the, the mobile phone, not like cell phone, but like, you know, landline phone that was wireless. And then that was when McDonald's came out with their chicken McNuggets. You know, this is 1983. And so he served his sentence that was 26 years. And when he stepped out into freedom, uh, Randall Leitrich didn't know how to use a cell phone. He didn't know how to use the internet. Uh, he didn't know how to use a computer. And so he didn't know what to do with himself. And so what he did was he found him a house that was abandoned on the south side of San Antonio. Uh, and it was exactly 96 days after his release. And he burned down that house on the south side. And the police picked him up and he told the police, I burned that house down because I want to go back to prison. Because he understood that environment. And we could have a long conversation about recidivism and why prisoners, you know, freak out when they get out of prison. Uh, but you know, the, the way that this relates today is I've met far too many Christ followers who have received the free grace of God, but don't know how to handle freedom in Christ. People feel more comfortable going back to legalistic rules that they can understand. They go back to spiritual prisons. Now, we've been studying through this New Testament book of Galatians, but what you got to understand is that it's not a book. It's actually a letter. There weren't even chapters and verses originally written into Galatians. It, it was just a letter that Paul, who was a pastor and a church planter, uh, sent to a group of people in Asia Minor, many of whom were new believers in the diaspora. That is, some of them were uh, displaced Jews and others were Gentile, very irreligious types of people, and he wanted to help them keep their freedom. Look at Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. He says, so Christ has truly set us what? Free. Now make sure you stay what? Free. And don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. And so what we've been saying is embrace what? Free grace. And so I'm going to say embrace. When I point to you, I'd like you to say free grace. Those of you in the back room, you got to chime in loud and proud. You ready back room? Here we go. Embrace. Embrace. That was pretty good in the front room. I still couldn't hear the back room back there. I'm going to give you one more shot. Don't make me come back there. Okay, let's try it again. Here we go. Embrace. Embrace. 
And I think that was solid back room. I'm gonna let you pass on that one right there. Uh, but Galatians, it really deals with how do I become righteous? You know, that's one of the themes you th- see throughout the book. Uh, the, the letter there is, is it, how do I become righteous or how do I get acceptable or right with God, you know? And uh, Galatians answers that in two different ways. And so I brought a chart today because I wanna show you uh, these two different ways. Okay, there's relationship righteousness. And then there's also fellowship righteousness. Now, let's look at relationship righteousness just for a minute. That's when you've been adopted into God's family. You've been born into his family. You're considered perfect. Um, You're unconditionally loved and accepted. Um, Relationship righteousness is where uh, you can rebel against God, but you still have a relationship with him, right? Because you're his kid. Then there's the fellowship righteousness side of things where uh, you're in good fellowship with God. You're walking with God in obedience to God. You're um, growing in godliness and love and you rebel against God and break fellowship with him. So it's kind of like this. You get uh, relationship righteousness when you come to faith in Christ and uh, when you're born into a family. And it's like those of you parents who have kids your kids are your kids for the rest of life. If you're a good parent, you love your kids no matter what they do. Uh, you love them because they're in relationship with you in the family, see? But I've met a lot of parents inside the church and out who have kids that go wild, they go rogue, they go rebellious, they get into addictions, and parents have to put up some boundaries there because uh, if the kid's in an addiction... They're just going to come into the house and uh, steal everyone's stuff and use it to pay for their addiction and further destroy their lives. And so in that situation, I've seen parents literally have to kick their kids out of the house, put up those boundaries. Now, that's a situation of fellowship. The kid's always going to be your kid, right? You always love your kid. It doesn't matter if they have to be kicked out of the house. You always love your kid. They always have relationship righteousness with you. But do they have fellowship righteousness with you? No. There's a break in fellowship, even though they'll always be your kids. So I want to drill down on relationship righteousness a little bit more. So how do you receive the relationship righteousness into the family of God? And Paul actually gets pretty mad at some of these religious guys who were tricking the Galatians into wrong thinking about how you get relationship righteousness. Look at Galatians 3.1. He says, oh, foolish Galatians. Who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the laws of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you did what? Say it. Believed. The message you heard about Christ. See, relationship righteousness only comes through believing in Christ. And Paul wants them to get this idea, and he shows them an illustration that they all would have known about. And he uses the illustration of Abraham. And what happened with Abraham is he got into this relationship with God when God appeared to him one time in a vision uh, to, to reveal himself and to create a contract agreement or what in those days they called a covenant. Now, what you got to understand about people in that day, in Abraham's day, is that they would do what's called cutting covenant. 
Now, cutting covenant was, and this is going to sound gross to some of you who live uh, in our times, is they would take these farm animals, which they used kind of like commerce, like they didn't always use money, they would trade and barter with farm animals. And so when you're going to make an agreement or a contract, they'd cut the animals in half and put them on two sides. And as you can see in the little picture on screen, the blood would pool down in the middle. And if you were going to enter into contract with someone, you would walk between the two halves of these animals through the blood. You would literally get blood on your feet. And I know it sounds weird to you and I today, but they lived in a very different culture in Abraham's day. And here's what that's saying. It's like, dude, you want to enter into a contract with me? There's not going to be some slick attorney that's going to get you out of it if the covenant gets broken. It's like, you see the blood on your feet? It's going down if someone breaks this covenant and someone's going to shed some blood. So when God comes to Abraham and God's going to cut covenant, a darkness falls on Abraham because he realizes this isn't just some guy. I mean, if I cut covenant with some guy, you know, I can't, but this is like God, he could make me into a grease spot like that. And so he's, uh, he's, he feels this sense of darkness. If you went back and read the story in, in Genesis, um, but, but here's what happened. God appears to him in the form of this fire pot and sits him down. And God does not allow Abraham to walk through the blood between the two pieces of animal. But the Bible tells us that the fire pot, the presence of God before Abraham, went between the two pieces of animal. And you know what that means. It means that if the covenant is broken by either party, God is the only one responsible to shed blood, see? And that is why many years later, God's blood would be shed on the cross when Jesus died there. And you know what that also means? It's a picture of the gospel to you and I today. That's why Paul shares it in Galatians, in the security of our relationship righteousness with God, see? Because he's the one that passed between the two pieces of animal. He's the only one that is bound by the covenant, yet we receive the benefits of the covenant, see? You didn't accomplish it. You and I, when we came to faith in Christ, we didn't walk through the blood. Only he did. Thus, our relationship with him is secured. And some of you who want to go back to religion, you want to go back to ways of thinking that say, hey, I've got to do my part or God's going to kick me out of the family of God. And that is not the way he works. Your relationship with him is absolutely secured. And what some of you want to do, you want to go back to religion where you break the rules and it's like your past boyfriend or your past girlfriend who bailed out on you when you did something they didn't like. And look, God's not going to wear your old boyfriend's doggy suit. He never has. He never will. Your relationship with him is absolutely and completely secure in Christ. Embrace that free grace. Now, Here's one of the questions we get a lot is, well, that's relationship righteousness, right? By belief, uh, free grace, all of that. But how is it that I grow? I mean, how do I grow in fellowship righteousness? I mean, how do I grow in my ability to feel uh, connected with God and like I'm in right standing or fellowship with him uh, where he's pleased with my life? And uh, I get this question a lot from married couples and uh, men who are dealing with lust because invariably what happens is, is that I'll tell my uh, testimonial or my 
story of how many years ago I used to struggle with lust and uh, how God set me free from that. I've been free for like 17 years and how my marriage was in shambles. And uh, then, you know, I went through a lot of counseling. I prayed a lot. I got a lot of help and God saved my marriage and restored my marriage. And now we're thriving today. And what people think is they hear that story and they think, oh, he's the holy man, right? And so if I can just get into his office and if he'll say a little prayer over me, then shazam, I'll be uh, fixed and I won't lust anymore or my marriage won't struggle anymore or let go to Pastor Doug because he's got to have like a five point, seven point plan, you know, and if I just go by the plan, if I do everything, check off the list, then I'm going to be okay. I mean, I'm going to have, you know, uh, fellowship righteousness in my life and everything's going to be fixed. Well, what you got to understand is um, I'm not some silver bullet, only Jesus is, um, and, and I'm just telling you my story as it happened. But here's one thing I do know is that you never get free from struggles and issues unless you learn to apply Galatians 2.20. Look at it with me. Here's what he says. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body or in this reality right now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Now look at that first phrase there. I've been crucified with Christ. That is, I count myself, my sinful desires to be crucified or dead. So it's kind of like this. Some of you perhaps have seen that movie uh, Weekend at Bernie's. Have we seen this? Okay, in the movie... Early on in the movie, Bernie dies, and these other two guys tried to make Bernie look alive so they could hang out at his awesome beach house and party down and meet hot chicks and stuff, right? So in the movie, you'll see them sitting out on the beach and they're propping Bernie up with these sunglasses on and these hot chicks in bikinis come by and they're tempting the guys and the two guys, they're, they're tempted, but Bernie's not tempted at all, is he? Why? Because... Bernie's a dead guy, okay? And so here's the way we apply this, counting ourselves dead to sin or crucifying the old nature or our old selves is that when you're tempted, guys, when you're at your computer and you see, you know, it's so easy to get to porn, isn't it? It's like you're just sitting there and there's like an ad on the side, an ad with some hot chick or whatever, and you're like tempted to click on the link. But when you do that, go Bernie on it, right? I'm just dead, right? So what's Bernie, what's, what's Bernie gonna do to that link? He's not gonna click, is he? And then if someone is really great at pushing your buttons, you ever have a spouse? They know you, they know you so well, and they know they can say a certain thing, and it will fire you up, it will make you mad, and they're pushing your buttons because of their wounds and all this kind of stuff. What, what, what do you do when they push your buttons? What would a dead guy do? Okay, nothing, right? They're just dead right there. So count yourselves dead like Bernie towards uh, those sins. And what happens is you learn to apply what the Bible teaches is the new law. Now, I'm dying to talk about the new law, but before I deal with the new law, we gotta go back to the old law um, because if there's a new law, it presupposes that there was an old law. And that begs the question, how should Christians apply the Old Testament law uh, into our lives today? Okay, now when I talk about the law when, when we say in church or we read in the Bible from the New Testament, the law, it's not talking about like the laws of our land. It's talking about the Torah or the first five books of the Bible. So put up your hand just like this. And when I say Torah, 
or law, it means first five, like Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all those in, in the first parts of the Bible. And so no doubt you've read online or you've heard someone say or you've had a conversation with someone who doesn't like God or doesn't like the Bible. And what they'll say sometimes is, well, you know, you shouldn't believe the Bible because if you go back to the law, which is what? The first five, remember, Torah? Um, uh, there are these weird rules back there. Like, for example, a kid born out of wedlock can't enter into the congregation. That's a weird law, isn't it? Another law, it's like a young lady who loses her virginity before marriage, uh, she'd be stoned to death, okay? Um, a, you know, a bunch of us in this room, we, we might have some, pro, you know, we, we might get pretty bad stoned. And so it's like, um, you're, you're not allowed to wear clothes of mixed fabrics, according to the first, you know, you know, there, there's that law. And so if you're wearing a polycotton blend, that's a problem for, for, for the law. And so why don't we apply all that? Well, uh, here, here's the deal. If someone uses that logic to get you to disbelieve the whole of the Bible because that's a, a principle guideline or law from the Torah, then uh, I'm not trying to be condescending here, but they don't understand how to read ancient literature, nor do they understand uh, how God speaks to people throughout, progressively throughout the Bible. And so let's take a look at what Paul tells us uh, uh, as far as how we should view the Old Testament law. Look at Galatians 3.24. He says, therefore, the law, right, was our, what, tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, see? So the law has already been fulfilled by Christ, and we're not under a tutor. Then why did God give these laws? Well, it was for fellowship righteousness. And I'm going to show you four reasons why God gave the law in the Old Testament so you'll understand how to read it. Number one, the law taught people that they couldn't achieve righteousness on their own initiative and willpower. So there was like over 400 of these laws. Most people couldn't remember them all, let alone obey them all. And when people got frustrated by it later on, they realized, hey, I need to look to Jesus who can help me with this. But then another reason the law came was it was given to separate Israel from the other nations and make them distinct so that they could inherit and keep the promised land, a set of, uh, a, set of a plot of land or some real estate. And every time, if you read through the Old Testament narrative, you'll see that when the Jewish people blew off the law and didn't try and apply it, they ended up being displaced and losing their land. Is that relationship righteousness or fellowship righteousness? Fellowship righteousness, right? Now look at the next one. The law was a government system for the nation of Israel. Now we're something new today. God didn't make us a government on earth. God made us what's called the church. And we're not here to set up an earthly government. We're here to live beneath the government that we're in and love and serve people wherever we're located. Then number four, the law was for a period of time for fellowship, righteousness. God deals with people differently in different times of history. Now, there are some principles that we'll see throughout the Old and New Testaments. One way that God deals with people in particular throughout all generations, I'll show you here in just a minute. But it's kind of like this. Let's say we got in time machines today and we went to the future 3,000 years from today. And we were all standing here together 
and I said, pull out your mobile devices and open up your Bible app and follow along in the Bible on your phone with me while I teach you. Well, 3,000 years into the future, that would not be an appropriate way for me to engage you with the Bible, would it? Because we all know that our mobile devices are actually probably going to go away, like Microsoft's Alex Kipman recently said that augmented reality could replace smartphones and TVs or anything else with a screen. So in augmented reality, your calls, chats, movies, games will be beamed right into your eyes, overlaid uh, wherever you are. Now, we don't know for sure exactly what's going to replace the smartphone, but we know that as technology goes, um, something else will come Along. Well, just like we don't expect our tech to stay the same in the future, we cannot go back in history 3,000 years ago and expect God to deal with humankind in the same way. There are different seasons of history, or what some of us call different dispensations of how God communicates and deals with people. You can see that progression as you go from the Old Testament to the New. And so in the church age that you and I live in right now, we have the new law. And what are the new laws? There are two of them we're given in Galatians. One is the law of love. That is, we're to love God with all our hearts. We're to love other people like we love ourselves. But the second law is the, the new law is to walk in the spirit. That's in Galatians 5.16. And I'm dying to talk about how to walk in the spirit, but that's next week's talk. So um, please, I'm dying to talk about it, but I'm gonna have to finish this one, okay? That's why we do series so that you're not here for like five hours, okay? So um, next week, walking in the spirit. Um, but the last thing I wanna show you um, is that free grace comes at just the right time. Just the right time now. Go with me to Galatians 4, 4 and 5. Paul says, but when the, look at that phrase, fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And I would add to that also as daughters. So look, two things from that text. There's time and adoption First, the fullness of time. We know that God is not limited to time as we know it. The way that you and I experience time is that we can experience the moment we're in right now and we can think back to our memories from the past, but we don't get to go into the future at all. God is not limited in that way. God can see all of eternity future, all of eternity past, and the now. It kind of makes my head hurt thinking about the way that God can view time in a nonlinear fashion and in a holistic view. Um, and so God doesn't work behind the times or ahead of the times, but God works in the fullness of time, see? And that's why the Bible teaches us that in the fullness of time, God sent his son born of a woman. Do you know that when Jesus was born into this world, the highest percentage of people on the planet spoke and understood the same language, which was the Koine or common Greek language. And God, in the fullness of time, sent Jesus so the majority of people could hear the message of love and grace from Christ. And um, this is the one way that God has dealt with people 
the same throughout every dispensation of history. And that is, if you believe what he tells you, then you receive relationship righteousness. Did you catch that? Abraham didn't have Jesus yet, did he? But he believed God, and it was counted to him as what? Righteousness. See, he was given an unconditional relationship with God because he believed God, see? We also see the principle of adoption there in Galatians. Adoption. So you know that parents that adopt their kids, they choose them, don't they? So some years ago, this family chose a little girl to adopt her. I brought a picture of this family. And they, they adopted this little girl. They loved this little girl. They saw that this little girl got a good education and a great upbringing. And uh, they taught her the ways of God. And they taught her a lot of great stuff. But when she was a teenager, she completely rebelled against her parents. She did a lot of stuff. And so did she still have the relationship with them? Yes, but when she rebelled, did she have fellowship with them? No. But in the fullness of time, she came back to her parents and she had fellowship again. Now, she received this great family. Did she do anything to receive it? No, she just received it and believed that she had this great family and she has a great relationship with her family to this day, and they are so proud of her for the way that she's serving God even to this day. And man, I want to tell you, I'm so grateful for those parents that loved this little girl so much and showered her with love throughout her life because they were raising the woman that would later become my wife. And so I'm grateful for that. Yeah. So here's what I want someone to grasp today is that God is always working in the fullness of time. And for someone today, he's adopting you into his family. He's adopting you into relationship righteousness and your heart is moving and it's not because of anything that I've done, but it's because this loving father who's a perfect father has worked the circumstances of your life where you could be adopted and receive and believe. If you embrace free grace, you just receive it and believe it. So what do you say we talk to him, shall we? Let's bow for prayer. And if you would like to begin this love relationship with God and be adopted into his loving family, I want you to talk to him in your own words right now, just between you and God. You don't even have to say this out loud, but something like this would suffice. Hey, look, God, I know I've sinned. And right now, the best I know how, the best I understand it, I choose to believe that Jesus cut covenant with me, that Jesus died on the cross for my sin to cover it so that I could freely come into his loving family. So God, just come on in, bring it. As we continue in prayer, perhaps some of us have spent a little time walking away in rebellion, and we know that God's a good father, and he didn't kick us out of the family, 
but we broke fellowship with him, didn't we? And so some of us are praying today, Father, I want to come home. I don't want to rebel anymore. I want to come back to you because your kindness has led me to repentance, like the Bible says in Romans, and I just want to come back to you because you're so good and I love you. And I don't want to break your heart anymore through my behaviors. And others of us just want to say, God, thank you that you are not like people on this earth who bail out on us and who disappoint us and who love us conditionally, but you love us conditionally. And we don't have any idea why you'd be so nice to us. But we'll take it. Thank you for it. And we pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.